Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about the Upper Room, please visit newroom.org. How many of you would consider yourself a Levite if you're in this room? Raise them high. How many of you don't know what a Levite is? Perfect. Um, I'm super excited about tonight. Uh, how many of you are musicians, artists, poets? Uh, you would consider yourself a creative in the room. Raise your hand. Raise them high. All right, that's a large chunk of you. Do you know that I believe, well, I believe we're all creative in some measure. Um, God, God's, God's, we're created in the image of a creator, therefore there's all, all of us have a creative expression. Some of us are actually called um, to minister to the Lord with our gift that is creative. And tonight, I, wanna, I really want to lay something before you. I'm super excited about this weekend. I feel like it's been on the Lord's heart for some time. And, uh, and I want to call us to action. Um, there's a Proverbs in Proverbs chapter 24, uh, verse 3. It says this. Can you throw that up for me, bro? Oh, is that Ben back there? Ben's the best-looking PowerPoint guy in the business. Sorry, bro. I hope that. Proverbs 24.3. It says, by wisdom a house is built. Everyone say wisdom. wisdom. By wisdom a house is built, but by understanding it's established. And I really feel for the last seven and a half years, we've been building a house. And I think it's a significant thing what God is building. God's building the house. We've been building with him, but unless he builds it, we labor in vain, yes? And it's by wisdom and a spirit of wisdom that we've been building the upper room. And I mean, it's been, it's been like wisdom, the wisdom of God is oftentimes the foolishness of men, yes? And the foolishness of men is oftentimes the wisdom of God. And, and like when it comes to church planting, we have done everything, Everything the book says, we've done the opposite. Like the other, the, it was just a couple of months ago, the Lord told me to get purpose-driven, uh, the purpose-driven church. It was before the purpose-driven life. How many of you know the purpose-driven life by Rick Warren? Okay, so he wrote an original book called The Purpose-Driven Church because Rick Warren was kind of the first mega church pastor, like Southern California, Saddleback Church. It was like the church to become. Those that are baby boomers or Generation Xers, you're probably more familiar with that than, 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 than others. But it, it was this book that swept across church leadership, and it was like, this is how you build an attractional model to grow a church. So I actually got it this year. I'd never read it, and I read through it, and I was like, oh, my God, we have done everything the opposite of that like it's like it's like your church worship worship and singing should only be 20 to 25 minutes like in the early days we might finish under two hours I was in Denver not long ago and they worship I'm not kidding they worship they start at five they worship till 7 30 and I was like listen okay I know we love the Holy Spirit and I know we love to worship but there's some young families and like they got to feed kids around seven so let's at least have a break and welcome them give them a hug and go back to singing all right like like let's I know we're like we love Holy Ghost we love Holy Spirit but when it comes to planting up rooms it has just been a unique thing because we have not 
built according to the wisdom of man. We've not built according to what we've seen. We truly have built, I think, with the Lord, a mandate that we've received, accepted. And man, it's been like, it has been so fun, but it's been so challenging because it's so different than even my training and what I've seen. Like, I remember uh, early days, for, for the first three years, we did not have a website. Now, if you're going to plant a church in this day and age, what's the first thing you do? You plant a website. Like, you need a website. Like, websites are good. People can, they can go online and they can say, this is, this is, this is my church, Come. And like there were three different times I had a website design. It was like the day before and the prophet of God showed up in my office and it's like, I hear you're building a website. If you build a website, the church will die. And I'm like, oh God, forgive me. And I like repent and like, I, we put, you know, one time we paid a guy like a couple of grand and I'm like calling him and he's like, we've done all this work. I'm like, I paid you, we're not launching it. It was just this really unique deal, but it is like God has said, listen, listen, I'm building this. And early on, he said, I don't want anything to mark this but me. Someone told me a a vision that they had. um, It was a a father in the house. He said he had a vision um, years ago that lined up with what I was saying, and it was a crystal glass. And there was light shining through the glass, and the Lord was speaking to him about not putting fingerprints on that glass just so that the pure light can come forth. And I really feel like for us, a mandate is that there would be no other fingerprints on this house but his. Someone told me this was, this was about a year ago, the most common thing searched when it was upper room was like upper room church, upper room uh, Dallas. And then one of the most common questions in the Google search, because you can look this up, is upper room, who's the pastor? Because no one really knew. <laughs> And, and I was like, okay, that's, that's not a bad thing. Um, you know, in, in Gideon's life, Gideon, I think it's Judges 7, uh, Gideon, Gideon had just conquered a whole bunch, and the people were so in awe of Gideon that they had this oil out, and they were ready to make him king and his son's king. And Gideon goes, no, 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 no. I can't take that place because you already have a king. And that king's name is Jesus. For us, it's Jesus. For them, it's God, Yahweh, which we know now revealed as Jesus. But, but I just believe the Lord's really, really jealous for, for, for this, what he's authored and what he's doing. And, um, and so it's with wisdom that we've built, but, but now I feel like more than ever, I've got understanding seven and a half years into this thing. And I want to present to you um, what I feel like the Lord has, has, has been pressing on my heart for 2018, and I want to invite you into it. Um, I think one of the emphasis we're going to have in 2018 is community. I think that's one thing that we're going to focus on. We're bringing Michael Miller back from the other Michael Miller back from Denver, Colorado. He's going to do some equipping. Him and Travis Maxwell are going to really work on building community. So that's one thing I know that, that, that we've asked for that. But the second, well, the primary thing, I would say that's secondary to the primary thing. The primary thing that we've been about is the presence of Jesus. And the main way we've been about the presence of Jesus is through morning, noon, and night prayer and worship. And a lot of you are benefiting from what takes place Monday through Saturday in this room. I think the explosion of God's presence and the explosion of encounter and the explosion of testimonies and the things that we're seeing, the fruit of the weekend, is because of what we're giving ourselves to you Monday through Saturday. In fact, George Otis, do you know who George Otis is? Anyone know who George Otis is? Um, Okay, a handful of you, I'll tell you who George Otis is. I know I'm like diving into the message tonight, it's because I really want to get somewhere quickly. Um, 
we usually kind of take our time to get in that. I'm just like, man, zero to 60, here we go. Uh, George Otis is this. George Otis is a, is a, how would you describe George Otis, actually? Um, he's, he's a researcher. Uh, he's, he's like a spiritual scientist, if you will, like the, the, the things that he's studied in, in regards to revival. He, he's been studying true moves of God. I think he's studied just about all of them. Um, and in modern day, he has done these documentary films called Transformational Videos, I think is the name of it. First one I saw was on Uganda. And um, uh, he studied uh, the move of God that hit Uganda. It, the Lord's Resistance Army was there uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s. Joseph Kony, this children, children's army, it was just devastating the nation. And, um, and these pastors got together and they said, hey, they went to the, the pr- president of their nation and said, hey, this isn't a political issue. This isn't a tribal issue. This is a spiritual issue. And we need to pray and repent to the God of heaven and earth that he would pour out a spirit and there would be a shift in the nation. And so they actually film these pastors going to the set. There were like a couple of high places throughout Uganda. They have films of these pastors repenting with the Ugandan army there, the Holy Spirit falls. They're actually baptizing soldiers in these little waters. Uh, they were in the, the mountains. Everyone's repenting, and they saw a significant change from those prayers moving forward. They saw the Lord's Resistance Army end. They saw amnesty offered to these soldiers and reconciliation come. It's really, really a powerful documentary. And so he has just been studying moves of God on the earth. He studied one in South America. It was actually a move of God that God began healing the land in such a profound way in South America that the ground began to produce carrots. Like a carrot is typically what? Six, eight, 12 inches, something like that. The carrots that the land were producing were the size of men's arms. Huge carrots, man. Like God was moving. He was even moving on the carrots, you know? It's like we have a move of God. And so George comes in with his team and they start it's like societal transformation. He's done one, I believe, in the States in Indiana. And anyways, I'm telling you about George because George was at the upper room in the early days. And, 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 and there was this night, man, where the presence of God just swept through and we were doing testimonies. And I know many of you have experienced a night, if you've been here for any considerable amount of time, we have those nights where it's like, oh my God, what was that? You're like, I, that, only God could do what just took place in that place. And it was one of those nights where you know, our faces are melting, we're on the floor, just our shirts are untucked and everything, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, it's just a glory meeting. And George comes up to me, and I didn't know he was in the meeting at the time, but he came up to me and he goes, hey, uh, I want to introduce, you, meet, introduce myself to you, I'm George Otis. I was like, oh my God, I know exactly who you are. And he goes, listen, I, my prayer is that one day I can come back to this church and do a video because what you're sensing in meetings like this is, is a foretaste of a move of God. And I, I, I asked George in this setting, I was like, oh my God, that's, ama- that's awesome. You're like, if someone's going to say that, it's you. And well, George, tell me the secret. <laughs> like, what's the secret sauce to all these moves that you've seen? And I'll never forget, man, without missing a beat, he looked at me in the eyes. He said, in every move that I've studied, there's been a small consensus of people radically committed to one thing a small consensus that's radically committed to one thing and they won't stop focusing talking about that one thing and i know for us the one thing that 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 has marked this community it's the one thing david 
wrote about in Psalms 27, 4, is, 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 is the presence of Jesus, beholding Jesus and creating environments where the Holy Spirit can come and move among us. Like, like we, are, we want to be so sensitive to what he's doing, and we want, to create, we want to create space for him to move in our midst. And that happens, that's, that's a 6 a.m. prayer in the morning, 12 uh, to 2 prayer tomorrow, 6 to 8, and it, it's for tonight as well. Now, the, e- the weekends usually have a little more teaching, a little more structure, but even this morning, like, like if you were here this morning during worship, it, it just, like the Holy Spirit came in. We had a dancer over here. The dancer got up, and I mean, it just became this, this moment where everyone in the room got wrecked, and you knew God was present. And we probably could have and probably should have stayed in that a lot longer than we did, but, but I, I just... I think the Lord was, was putting an exclamation point on what we're talking about tonight. And I know that I know that I know that there is a small consensus in this body that is radically committed to one thing. The closer you get to the center of the upper room, you're going to find people possessed with this one thing. And I know there's a lot of you, like some of you go to other churches, some of you, you just like to come and do this, you know, for an hour up here. And, and we're down with that. If you're that guy and you like to come up and you, we're da- we love that. If that's as close as you get, it's just standing up and you're like, I just love this place. We're, 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 we're great with that. But the closer you move and you get close to my family, you get close to leaders, you get close to, 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 to the executive team, you get close to staff members, you get close to prayer leaders and worship leaders, you're going to see that they've all dialed in on this lifestyle around the presence of Jesus. We do life around the presence. It's not just, it's not just something on a wall. It's not just something that, that gives us goosebumps. That It's not just something that we practice gifts in. It's it's something that has marked our lives, the presence of God. Like the presence of Jesus, Holy Spirit, God himself in our midst. When he shows up, we are undone, we are wrecked, we cannot get over it. And we believe that it's a foretaste of what's to come, that Jesus Christ himself is returning to the earth. And he's preparing a people, he's preparing a people on the earth in this hour that are forsaking everything and positioning their hearts before him saying, we love you and we want you to return. In in Revelation 3, it says the spirit and the bride say come. That it's crescendoing that that the heavens will split. That a man, a Middle Eastern man with eyes and ears, feet and hands will come back as king of kings and lord of lords. And he will establish himself on Mount Zion in Israel. And the glory of God, the glory of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Like, we're convicted about it. We have changed course. Like, we were going this way, and we learned about this. We got, we got it just wrecked our lives, and we have given all that we know to this one thing. And, and there's many of you in this room, even as I'm talking about this, something's burning in your heart, and you're like, man, this This is what I've been looking for. These are the people I've been looking for. And there's a remnant of people that won't settle for theology. They won't settle for good teaching. They won't settle for anything but the manifestation of God's presence. And it's amazing to be around people that are as weird as you. People that are are like something's off with them. You're like, wow, something's wrong with you too. Oh my God, I feel so normal here. 
<laughs> I'm like looking around. You can tell some people that are that way, they're like, oh, God, I'm home. And others are like, eh. <laughs> like I thought this place was weird. <laughs> Man, we are. We are wrecked by Jesus. We are. And, 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 and it's not business as usual in this hour. This millennial generation I'm so excited about. I'm so excited about what God's doing in this generation that's coming forth. Like the structures that are being shaken right now. The political structures, the media structures, the religious structures. Like there is a shaking taking place on the earth. But it's unto the unshakable manifesting. It's unto the unshakable people standing up, not being swayed or turned, but being rooted and grounded in love and being an answer to a generation that has a lot of questions. And reformation, I believe we are in the midst of a reformation right now. I believe God is reforming structure in this hour. I don't believe a lot of people know exactly what it is, but there is something that is shifting right now culturally, and there's something shifting spiritually. Really is. There really is, and, and I know we just celebrated 500 years of the Protestant movement when Martin Luther, he, he put the, I think it's the 91 Thesis on the door of the Catholic Church, and it like marked a moment, and I don't believe there's going to be that kind of moment in this day, but there is a similar shift happening right now, where we're moving from our heads to our hearts, we're moving from just knowing, knowing the God of principles, and knowing the God of, of, of gifts, to, to knowing like Holy Ghost, outpouring of His Spirit. Spirit and Acts type 2 church. It's happening. And I'm excited about it. And, and I'm excited too about the role that Upper Room is playing in that. Um, tonight, I want to share some things that, that I've seen God do this year. And again, wisdom builds the house, but understanding establishes it. And I feel like the Lord has given me understanding to understanding to what he's doing in our midst. And I want to call us to, to sow into that. I want to call us to support it. I want to call us to rally around it and re-ante. I want to call us to re-ante. I want to call some of you to ante up for the first time. And when I say ante, just like, like collect yourself and throw yourself to the center of the table and say, man, I'm all in on this. <clears throat> because listen, if you want, if, if you don't know what God's will is for your life, figure out what he's doing on the earth and just hop in the middle of it. Like, like if you don't, if you're confused, you're like, man, I don't know what God's will is. I don't know what my giftings are. I don't know where I fit. Well, look around this room, man. You can sense that God's doing something here. This is a great place to dive headlong in and say, I'll figure it out as I get in the momentum of what's taking place here. Because God is moving here. There's something happening here, and it's not by chance that you're being stirred and starting to connect here. And so I want to put some language to what I, I feel like he's doing uh, at the upper room. Um, the man David and the king David uh, has really, really provided context, I think, for, for what God's building here. It's First Chronicles chapter 13. So if you have your Bibles... Uh, click them open or turn them, however you flow with the Bible. First Chronicles 13. Um, <clears throat> I'm just gonna. We're gonna look at David, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna share some. I'm gonna share about a project called the Amos Project that we're rolling out tonight, and how you can participate in it. Um, 
Amos 9.11, it says, In that day I will, I will restore or rebuild David's fallen tent or David's fallen tabernacle. Um, the tabernacle of David, it's interesting, Amos 9.11. Amos is a really, really uh, interesting book. Like, it's 146 verses, nine chapters, and 141 of the 146 are all diagnosis, a diagnostic. It's just like you're sick, you have a tumor, it's spread everywhere. This is what it looks like. Like, there's adultery, there's fornication, there's f- idol worship, there's all kinds of stuff. But the last five verses, he gives the prescription. And part of the prescription, the main part of the prescription is he's going to restore David's fallen tent. And there was something about restoration, reformation, or revival associated with Davidic order, specifically in regards to worship and the state of the nation. And I think it's a, I think it's a picture for us as his church. There's some keys here for us to center around in order to position ourselves for a move of God. And it's really simple what David did, but, but it, it, takes, it takes an army to do it. And so I want to I wanna, I wanna just show you about a, kind of an overview here of David's life and show you the tabernacle that he built. And then I want to show you how that's happening in our midst. Yay? First Chronicles 13. Um, this is an awesome part of David's life. Uh, he had been living for the promise of becoming king, and he's finally king. So here he's living as king. For the first time, you get to see David as king addressing people. Up, up until this point, we get to read the narrative of like the cat and mouse game between him and Saul. We get to see the insights of David, but the nation did not know David's heart. And so here he is in First Chronicles 13. It's like the State of the Union, primetime address. All the network news are there, like they're filming, and David's going to roll out his agenda for his kingship. And so he calls everyone together. He specifically asks for the priests and the Levites to join. The priests and the Levites, uh, significant. Talk about that later. But um, so he asked them all to come, all the generals, captains, every kinsman, everyone gathers in Jerusalem. And here's David in verse three. David says this. It's a corporate call. He's calling all. One is calling all to one thing. He says, let us, First Chronicles 13, three, he says, let us bring back the ark of our God to us, for we did not seek it in the days of Saul. So there's three us's. There's a, let us bring back the ark of God to us, for we did not seek it in the days of Saul. David knew he couldn't do it alone. He knew that they needed to be unified in this pursuit. Because for 70 years, the ark of God had been stored away in a barn at kiriath Jerium. Moses' tabernacle had been functioning, which is the outer court, inner court, holiest of holies. The ark should have been in the holiest of holies, but it was not. It was in this barn. And it was really diagnostic of the spiritual state of Israel that they had just left God. They had a form of worship, but their hearts were far from him. And it was from the king on down to the people. And David, as king, is saying, hey, there's a new king in town, and this is going to mark my kingship. I'm calling all of us back to pursuing the ark. Now, the ark was the token on the earth. It was a wooden box, but it was the token in which God's presence rested upon the ark. So where the ark was, his presence was. 
So in essence, in him saying we're going after the ark is we're going after the restoration of the presence of God in our nation. You following me? And so he, he makes this call and, and everyone's in. Everyone's like, you're the leader. We're gonna follow you. And I, I, believe, I believe in this hour we have a leadership crisis. And there's a lot of leaders pointing at a lot of problems. There really are. There's a lot of leaders pointing to a lot of problems. And, 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 and I believe like some of us are leaders in this room and some of us are contributors and followers. We have gifts. I, I mean, we're all endowed by God with unique gifts. I, since I was a little bitty boy, had a call to lead. Like I just remember people following me for better or for worse. Oftentimes in my teenage years, it was for worse, right? Like, like I just, I just, I was like, I don't want you to follow me, but people just followed me. And I believe when God designed me, he put a gift of leadership in my life. And so I've been like trying to figure out, Lord, what did you put this in my life for? In my early twenties, I thought I was going to go after the marketplace and make a lot of money. Um, and, and not in an unrighteous way. Like I really had a heart to, to be a king and to, to be an entrepreneur, but man, the, the hand of God was on my life. And like, I, I needed, I knew I was called to do ministry. And so for most of my 20s, I was figuring out, Lord, what is it that you're calling me to lead your people in? It wasn't until my late 20s that I learned about the presence. And then I got swept into this prayer worship movement. And man, I am convicted that my call is to lead people into environments where the presence of God rests. Like, I, I, I just know that. It's just, it's just, I'm going to give the rest of my life to this mandate. I, upper room is not a flip in the pan, like here today, gone tomorrow, cool worship. Whether it's cool or not, I'm going to be about this. It's just, it's just what I, it's just me. And so I understand what David was saying here. As a leader, God had marked him. He's a, known as a man after God's own heart. He was known as one who fulfilled God's purposes in his generation God so loved David that he said, you know what? Jesus, my son, is going to sit on the throne of David for all of eternity because of something found in David's heart. And I believe this verse right here in, in Chronicles 13, verse 3, is the mark of David's life, that he longed for the presence of God. He knew something about this component pursuing the presence on the earth, and when that comes, things happen. I believe that's how he slayed Goliath. I believe that's how he honored Saul throughout his days. I just believe it was the key to the success in David's life. You following me? And so then what is a man, what is a man that's king, has all this authority now, you know he has his heart, what does it look like for him to fulfill this commitment? Well, everyone go like this, because that's what's about to happen to your brain. <laughs> All right? There's so little revelation on this in the body of Christ. If you try to Google this and do research on it, it's just, it's rare. Um, I, I, there's a lot of explanations to David's tabernacle, and I think a lot of those are true on a, on a, on a really, like, surfacey level. But the tabernacle of David has many, many, many layers. There's just these layers to it. You know those 3D pictures that none of, like, I've never seen them, but I hear. There's those 3D images that are like digital graphs, and like if you cross your eyes and look through it, all of a sudden the dolphin appears. You know what I mean? Or the sail ship or whatever it is. You're like, I, I've just, I've never seen it. But, but David's tabernacle is like that. It's like you look at it and you can see kind of some form and structure. But the longer you look at it, the more you see this three-dimensional eternal kingdom locked into what he led out. 
And it's really important for us because I believe we're a part of this restoration of David's tabernacle. Amos 9-11 has been fulfilled. Amos 9-11 is being fulfilled and Amos 9-11 will be fulfilled. People are like, is, is David's tabernacle, is it established? Yes. Will it be established? Yes. Is it being established? Yes. It's all the above. And so I believe we're a part of this prophecy. That's why we're calling this the Amos Project, the restoration of David's tent, which will usher in the second coming of Jesus. It's a key for us. And I don't have a ton of time to explain that, but I did do a series called The Tab Life. It's in our podcast at the very bottom. I had them put it up. So if you have questions, you can go listen to some of those podcasts. But let me show you what David did. So David, we're going to pursue the ark. So he goes and he gets the ark. And as he gets the ark, they, they developed a new system for carrying the ark. We're going to talk about that in two weeks. But this new system was not a good system. They didn't need a new system. They needed the eternal system and the eternal order. God wasn't looking for them to do something new. He wasn't looking for them to do something relevant. He wasn't looking for them to, to like put makeup on his purposes. He was just looking for them to bring divine order to community so that he could rest upon that. But David and crew came up with a new idea. During their new idea, the ark got wobbly, fell off, a man dies. David's like, oh my God, we were going to pursue the ark and someone's dead. This isn't looking good. Like, this is a bad PR campaign. So they put the ark, they put the ark in Obed-Edom's house and for three months... Um, David is wrestling with the Lord. And I believe the Lord gave David insight as to how to go after the ark rightly in this three months. And so um, 1 Corinthians 13, four, or 1 Chronicles 13, then 1 Chronicles 14, he builds his house. In 1 Chronicles 15, we come back to the narrative of David going after the ark. And I think 1 Chronicles 15 verse 2 is one of the most important texts in the Bible. Well, Top 100. It's pretty important. It's a lot of scripture. Um, David said this. David learned that no one is to carry the ark of God but the Levites. Now, the Levites were one of the 12 tribes. Levites had a really unique call. Um, they weren't allowed to go to war. The Levites were... Uh, the Lord was their inheritance. The Levites didn't work. The Levites' work was to minister to the Lord. And, and this description here, no one is to carry the ark but the Levites for the Lord. Everyone say that next word. For the Lord chose them. The Lord chose them to carry the ark of God and to minister. What are the next two words? Who do Levites minister to? Who do Levites minister to? Who do Levites minister to? How long do they minister to God? How long do they minister to God? Forever. Now, the Levites, I, I, I know that there's probably an actual tribe of Levi somewhere. There's descendants of Levi. Um, I, I'm not like, we don't have to do blood tests to figure out if you're from the tribe of Levi. But you can do a heart test. And in that heart test, you can see like your giftings and what you're prone to. And I think a lot of artists, a lot of musicians, I could, I, you can walk through First Chronicles 15 and the Levites are the musicians, they're the singers. 
That's First Chronicles 15. It is the worship movement. You've got all these guys skilled in their instrument. All the instruments are represented. You've got singers. You've got some skilled singers that train other singers. But it is, it is this a company of worship leaders. It is this a company of singers, of musicians. I think there were probably dancers. I think there were probably uh, in this tribe, um, two-thirds of the psalms were written by these guys, David and these guys. So all the, the handbook for worship that's in our Bible came forth from these guys, Asaph and his crew, Koath, which was a part of the Levites, the sons of Koath, all of them. They wrote these songs in the tabernacle of David. Are you following me? I've given you a lot here. It's really important. We're going somewhere. But, but, but this ministry, it's really, really important, the description. This ministry was to God. It was a ministry to God. It was a, it's, it's just fascinating that God Almighty, who's fully sufficient in who he is, he lacks nothing. There's overflow in him. Like, like he needs nothing. God needs nothing. God does not need ministry. There's no ministry that he needs. Oh, would you just minister to me? You're not looking at me. That's not how God functions. God isn't like, oh, they're, they're leaving me out. That's not the kind of ministry we're talking about. Like when we think of ministry, we think of needs like homeless people or we think of those that are in addiction or we think of those that like there's this legitimate need that they have and we think that's ministry. And typically what we do is we begin in the name of loving God, we begin meeting those needs and it is right that we do that. Those ministries are so, so needed. I'm looking around the room and I see people that are heavily involved in the homeless in our city. I see uh, people in this room that are heavily involved with those that have addictions and on and on and on and on. But one of the things that I see that is lacking, like a lack of revelation, is this understanding that we, we have the capacity to minister to God. That's what this scripture says, that we have the capacity to bless him. We have the capacity to refresh him. We have the capacity to affect his heart. He's made himself available to us in that way. And I believe we, we do that. I believe when we sing songs, I say this all the time, this part of the service is for you, but the first half of the service is for him. Worship isn't just cool songs that you sing that give you goosebumps. It's, it's this offering of thanksgiving. It's this offering of praise. It's this offering that I am bringing something before the king of heaven and earth, and it affects him. It moves him. It stirs him. What? And there's people that have been gifted on the earth that when they get up on a stage like this, or you give them a guitar, do not give me a guitar. It does not minister to God. Like, I'm not in that. I'm not in that. Like, I give me on the drums. No, that's not my deal. But you put Sebastian back there. You put Dustin Horn back there. You put Julian over here. You put my boy Phil over here. You put Jonathan up on the keys. You put Garrett up on the lead guitar. You put Sarah Beth up here. And all of a sudden, man, the magic happens. Like, something starts to shift. Am I right? That's why most of you are here. It's like, come on. It's like, oh, oh my God. What, what? And it's like, you got this guy, you know? It's like, it takes off. Seriously. And, and I want you to know that the person who's moved the most 
love there. It's this vertical expression of love, like the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God. Like, I know we can do that by, by loving this person and giving someone to that. And I know, like, there's a number of ways we love God. But I think the primary way we are called to love God as his people, oh, we love you communing, talking to, worshiping, submitting, bowing, coming before the spirit that is Lord in our midst, beholding him together. Are you following me? And so this is that first Chronicles 15 two ministry that David, we're going to pursue the ark. How are we going to pursue the ark? We're going to employ these Levites because for 70 plus years, they've been in the fields as farmers. They've been in the shoe shops as blacksmiths. They've been just doing these weird ministries that they're not called to do. And I feel in my heart that there's a lot of Levites on the earth that have been homeless. They're looking for a home. They're looking for a place where they can light their match and throw it onto the altar and begin to burn with other ones like them. And the warmth of their ministry fills cities. The warmth of their ministry actually fuels evangelism. The warmth of their ministry actually moves teaching. The warmth of their ministry starts to affect society. I promise you, it's the prescription It's so simple that it's hard to maintain because of the demands that come upon leaders and people. We get it really, really complicated. But the simplicity and purity of devoting ourselves to him and setting a table for him, that's what we're about. Are you following me? So David, he does this. So how does he do it? Let me... me, Let me show you what he does. He does something that's unprecedented, actually. It's unprecedented. In fact, if he were to do it in this day and age, like, man, there would be this great move on social media and Facebook, and David would be just patronized, be called a heretic. Oh, my God, can you believe that he's breaking order the way that he's breaking order? Because David's tabernacle was very, very different than Moses' tabernacle. We know Moses' tabernacle, yes? Felt bored, grew up in church. You got the outer courts, which is the courtyard where they did all the killing. Then you got the inner courts, purification place. And then you got the holiest of holies, which is where the Ark of the Covenant dwelt. So you had the outer, inner, and then holiest of holies. It's, you know, you're, it's actually beautiful, the three dimensions. It's similar to us. We're the same way, flesh, soul, spirit. There's just these so many dimensions, Father, Son, Spirit. There's just so many dimensions to that tabernacle, which is beautiful and awesome. But God gave David insight to something else. David took this ark from Kiriath-Jerim. He put the Levites there, and, and, and he led it into a tent. It was a literal tent, like with curtains, that was this one giant room. It was a big, big, big room. There were no divisions, no dividing walls. And, and the last day that blood was shed at David's tent was, uh, was the day that the ark came in. It's 1 Chronicles 16. They, they offered the last bull before the threshold. Then the ark came across, and they put this ark in the center of a room. In the center of a room for 33 years. Everyone say 33 years. How long did Jesus live? It's symbolic of Jesus. For 33 years, this box sat in the center of a room. 
And instead of offering blood sacrifices and animals, they offered for 33 years offerings of thanksgiving, praise, and worship. He employed 4,000 singers and musicians and 4,000 gatekeepers to gather around the ark and minister to the ark. This is him going after the ark. This is what it looked like. That's, that's in the Bible. I've got the, I've got the dimensions here. Look at this. So Moses' tabernacle, outer, furnishings, holy place. Holiest of holies was empty. Remember in Saul's day, there was no ark. Uh, daily animal sacrifices, a company of priests, mosaic ministry in order, a few singers, few instruments. That's the one we're familiar with. But the one on, on your right is David's tabernacle. There was no outer court and furnishings, no holy place and furnishings. It was the transference of the holiest of holies. So it was, it was symbolic of the veil that's been torn. There were no veils. It was just the ark. The ark of the Lord was there, and there were daily spiritual sacrifices, no more animal sacrifices after dedication. There was a new Davidic ministry of order. There was a great company of singers and a great company of musicians. And so they would, they would gather around perpetually, continually, and sing to the Lord. Worship the Lord. Pretty interesting, huh? Well, how did David get this? Like anyone scratching their head like, man, what... How did David come up with that? Like, was he just had a good, a good quiet time or a good idea? How did he get it? Well, we actually have the answer. Because David, David was, was a man after God's own heart. I believe God gave David special insight to himself. In fact, in 1 Chronicles chapter 28, twice it says, because of the insight God gave him, at one point it says, the hand of the Lord was heavy upon David and gave him insight to the ordinances that would build his house. And I believe the ordinances that David tapped into to build his house is the Lord gave him a glimpse to Revelation chapter 4 and 5. Revelation 4 and 5 are, are so imperative for the church. Because Jesus said, Jesus said this, he said, when you pray, how do you pray? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth as it, so we usually think about that as like revival and God breaking out and healing and signs and wonders and oh my gosh, that doesn't exist in heaven, so I'm going to pray for you and intercede and I'm going to bring about that reality. I'm going to reconcile that situation to heaven, yes? But, but I, I think that's true and good and awesome, but for the house of God, for the people of God, I believe that the environment we create should look like where God dwells. And Revelation 4 and 5 are a description of where God dwells. It's really unique. Like, how many of you have a house in here? That's everyone. You're sleeping somewhere, somewhere, I don't know. Maybe you're not, but if you're not, come find me. I'll help you. But, 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 but we, we choose a dwelling place. That's what I'm saying. And, and if I went to your house and I looked around your house and I saw a Dallas Cowboy poster and I saw a football and I saw the picture of you in high school and some awards, I'd be like, man, you're really into football, aren't you? Yeah, I love football. You know, I could tell a lot about you where you dwell, right? I go in the refrigerator and figure out what you like to eat. I could go to your room and figure out what you like to sleep on. Like I could just go in your closet and see what you wear. Like I could learn a lot about you by going into where you dwell and where you choose to dwell. Yes? Well, we can learn a lot about God if we understand where he chooses to dwell right here and right now, like right here in the heavenlies. Because Jesus is in heaven. I know that he's in you by the Holy Spirit, but the man, Jesus, is seated on the throne in heaven. He, is, he ascended into heaven, and he's there right now. He's on a throne by the Father. 
Like it's a real place. It's not ethereal. It's not in cloud. It's like a real dimension in a real place. There's a cloud of, 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 of witnesses up there. There's angels. There's four living creatures. Like it is, it is really, really explicit the way the Bible describes where God dwells. And I believe David got insight to that realm. I believe God, like, in, in, he was irresistible, the heart that David had. He goes, let me show you something. And David was like, what? What? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. When I become king, we're going to pursue the ark, and we're going to create that reality on earth. Look at this. You have, you have David's tabernacle. David crowned God as king. Even though he was king, he used his crown to crown God. He crowned him as king, and he made worship the central feature of his government. What was the central feature of David's rule and reign? Everyone say it. It was worship. It was worship. That was central to his rule and his reign. He would do a lot. David did not get to sit and just sing songs all day long. David ruled and he reigned. He conquered kingdoms. He extended the government and uh, uh, the rule of Israel, like I think to date, as far as it's ever been. It was really significant, but at the center of it was this worship movement. So you have that. Um, what, you have the four prophets that led worship in Israel. It was David would, would, would have been considered that, He-Man, Jethum, and Asaph. Those were the three chief Levites. You had 24 elders that were leading 24 worship teams on earth. That's 1 Chronicles 25, and it was perpetual worship on earth. <clears throat> And so that mimics, that mimics uh, the tabernacle of God. Tabernacle of God, God's the king and he's at the center. Is there a book over here called Enthroned? Um, so the tabernacle of God, God the king is at the center in all activity and worship in heaven. That's Revelation 4. The four living creatures with the gift of eyes so they could see, they could lead perpetual worship in heaven. Then you had 24 elders that worship night and day, perpetual worship in, in heaven. Are you getting that? Does everyone see what, what, what I'm showing you? There's a great book. It's by a guy, a friend of mine, David Fritch. It's called Enthroned. It's on the tabernacle of David. Uh, this, this is actually from his book. I highly encourage you to get that. We're going to order some for you that you can buy um, at the connect table in the coming weeks. But I just want to show you that David tapped into a heavenly model, and he created that uh, on the earth. Yay? <laughs> okay? And every time, I'm, just for time's sake, I'm not going to go through it, but every time uh, revival came to uh, Israel, Davidic worship was restored because kings would forsake it and then kings would come back to it. And there's seven moves of God. And all of them, whenever they caught this revelation, the first thing they did was empower the singers. They would empower the Levites. They would create room for them to come and do what they did. Uh, I, I've, I've listed them out. Uh, it was Jehoda, Jehoshaphat, Hezekiah, Josiah, Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah. All of those guys caught onto this Davidic order. And when the, as soon as they did it, like societal reformation and revival hit the nation. Isn't that cool? So when Jesus actually came back to the earth and he comes into the temple, remember he drives them out of the temple. And what did Jesus say? He said, my house shall be a what? House of prayer. Which is kind of weird. Like I can ask, I've asked pastors, asked pastors at really large churches here, and I go, hey, what does it mean for a house of prayer? And they're like, I'm a house of prayer, you're a house of prayer. We have an attitude of prayer. We participate in the activity of prayer. We have quiet times. We, we pray with our brothers and sisters. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's so good. That's so true. But, but 
But I believe when Jesus said, my house will be a house of prayer, which is a house of relationship, I believe the reason he was rebuking them is because the previous seven moves of God was the temple being a house of prayer like David instituted. I believe they had a paradigm and a precedent for what a house of prayer looked like. And I'm not saying that for us, the church, we have to incorporate like, like to the T, Levitical worship, but there's a spirit and a heart that David carried that we can learn what true worship is by studying the Davidic order. Are you following me? I just believe there's a lot for us and for our nation. So why am I going into all this? What's the Amos Project? The Amos Project uh, is, is God restoring David's tent, this, this tabernacle of praise and worship where the ark of God, the presence of God is at the center of community. And I believe that's what's taking place here in the upper room. I believe the upper room, originally, when God poured his spirit out, it was people lifting up their heads, adoring the Lord for 10 days, and then all of a sudden heaven opens up and and suddenly hits and all the nations are impacted because of those praying people. Are you following me? So I wanna show you how that's happening here at the upper room. Upper room started uh, seven and a half years ago. Um, I knew that God had called us to prayer. I knew that it was an upper room because it was geographically, like literally an upper room that overlooked the city. I had this word and I won't get into all of it. But uh, about four or five months into it, I remember thinking like, man, I gotta learn about this prayer thing. Because it was like, it was hard just showing up and praying. I was like, man, I need revelation or I got I to gotta do something. Like, this is just bothering me. You want me to show up and pray, but it just wasn't enjoyable. I didn't get the vision of it. I didn't have God's heart. And so I sent this email to Jane Spring. I actually have it. I wrote it because I've been saying this for a while, and I checked just to make sure that, that um, oh, that's, that's the actual email. I, I, they wrote it out, but I have it here. It says, um, it was from Tuesday, August 24th. This is cool. You can put it up there. It's August 24th, 2010. So the upper room started in April 2010. This is about four months in. And this shows you my heart. I'm like, hey, once September rolls around, um, are there specific hours? You, Jane, because Jane was a spiritual mom in my life. She had a, a prayer uh, morning and night in her home three days a week. She'd been giving herself to it for a couple of, I think maybe a couple of years. But do you want to keep for the upper room for prayer? And then this was, this was me being a leader. I feel like I need to lead it with you. We will co-lead the prayer initiative here, meaning you teach me how to pray and I'll lead by being present and rallying the troops. (laughs) So this is, I come by this very innocently. It's Jane Spring's fault. So when this started, they were thinking about moving. and I'm like, Jane, you know something about God's heart and prayer. I don't. I really want to submit to what you know and I want to see like what this is about. And so I went into the school of prayer with Jane and it was a death to self. Listen, I'm, 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 I'm gifted. I could, I could entertain and gather crowds and teach and do all kinds of things to grow a church. But sitting in a room with Jane Spring wasn't on the agenda. That wasn't like a part of the plan, God. But here I was like, okay, I'm going into this school and I'm going to learn, Lord, what it is about prayer. And man, I went and we adopted her hours, morning and evening, Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday, and then Saturday morning. That's how we kind of stumbled into the morning, noon, and night. And man, it took about a year, but I gave myself over to it. And man, I have come alive for this place. And I've also seen a grace hit my, me personally. I've seen it hit my marriage. I've seen it hit my family. And I know that I've seen it hit uh, my ministry and the upper room and what we're building out and the people that I'm surrounded by. Like it is, I, I just, it's crazy the grace that's on this mandate. And so I'd be silly to not call you into it. And I think this is, this is what has, has really marked the upper room. So 
um, I told you wisdom builds a house, but, under, but by understanding it's secure. And so by this wisdom, we, we were just like gathering people, and there's been such a grace for people to pray here. Like, we haven't rolled out this big model. If you're a part of the prayer movement, like, you probably haven't seen a prayer deal like what we're doing because we're still growing into understanding exactly the model for us. But it really hasn't been until the last six months, I would say, that I've actually got the language for the model of prayer that we have here. I think our Tuesday from 12 to 2 team has really, like, been practicing it and honing it in. I think we're going to do more training events to raise up. Uh, just a more unity and focus and vision for the place of prayer because there's nothing worse than a lame prayer meeting, yes? Like a visionless prayer meeting. Oh my gosh, it's like, oh, I've been in a lot of those. And I'm not saying that it, there's not that. Prayer can be a labor. I'm not saying that. But, but prayer can have focus and precision and there's a right way to do it. And I feel like the Lord has really given us great language over the last several months in how to build this out. And so... Um, Another thing that has happened subsequently to the Lord formalizing prayer is the media component. And I know many of you have seen what God's doing with media and the upper room. Uh, we went from not putting anything online to about a year ago, there was a friend of mine who told me a vision that a prophet had of the Lord. He had an HDMI cable in his mouth. And the Lord spoke to this prophet and said, I am speaking through media right now. And when I heard that, my heart leapt, like I could just sense my heart just leap. And, and Johnny and, and uh, Jonathan Olson and a several, uh, Joe Awesome and others came around us that had this skill set to really do uh, social media and all that stuff, which makes us look a lot cooler than we actually are. But they're, they're, they're experts at it because we look really, really cool, you know? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> actually, you guys all look cool. It's like th that H&M catalog right here. Um, I, uh, so, so we'd start doing this media thing, and, and I'm like, Lord, okay, what do you, what's a strategy for media? Like, I don't just, I just didn't feel like we're to, like, turn it on, and, like, here we are, upper room, and I felt like the Lord had a strategy. Since he was so jealous for our media stuff, I felt like he would have a specific strategy for us to share it with the earth, and I had this vision, one, uh, this is probably, like, May or June, and, and, um, and the vision was this. I was with the Lord, and I saw he had an IV bag, and he put the IV bag up, and he took the IV, and he stuck it in a man, and this man was dying. He was on a bed dying. And I knew the man's name was Culture. I knew Culture was dying. And, and, and he turned a drip on this IV bag. You've seen an IV bag, yes? So I felt like a drip started coming into this man, and on the IV bag, it said upper room. And I felt like the Lord said, I want you to drip moments of your culture online. And watch what I do. And so what we did is, is I didn't feel like we were to do it with preaching and teaching. We haven't put much out there in regards to preaching and teaching. I didn't feel like we were to do that. I didn't feel like we were just to roll out our services and carte blanche, here it is. I felt like we were to be very strategic about moments that the Lord highlights to our team and we turn on this drip. You following me? So I want to show you what happened. We started that in June. Now, I, I'm not, I, we started in July. I'm not showing you this to toot our horn. I'm showing you this because I want you to see what God is doing. What I'm about to show you can only happen either you pour a lot of money into a campaign or God takes a deep breath and blows upon something. Are you following me? So I just want to show you, I want to show you what the Lord has breathed upon, and in my eyes, it's, it's gripped me to call us into this mandate that is the Amos Project.
Thank you for listening to this message. For more information about the Upper Room, please visit europe.org.